I'm Tavis Smiley, and I hope uh, hope it's good to you. At least these first two hours, uh, and now we uh, head to toward this hour today, which I've been looking forward to uh, for quite some time. Um, Omar Epps uh, has starred in some classic and impactful films. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take you back in a couple seconds here. I just want to play the just play the trailer uh, for Juice uh, because just hearing that thing does so much to me and for those of us who love that film. Um, all those years ago, but he starred in so many classic and impactful films, but he's also an accomplished author, uh, and I am delighted to have him on this program today for a career conversation and to talk about his latest book. It's called Nubia, The Reckoning. If you didn't know that Omar Epps was an accomplished author, well, now you do. Uh, and uh, this is uh, the finale uh, uh, to uh, uh, a Nubia duology. Um, a, a few books have been written. Uh, on uh, on uh, with these with these uh, with these characters, and we'll talk about that. So I'm glad we got him for the hour. It's going to be a great conversation with Omar Epps. Uh, but first, uh, just let me just do a throwback and take you back to to the trailer for Juice. Into the dragon, as I start the reign of the nigga, the banging of rappers on the bandwagon. Feel the fury of a banner, gay women are slaves. No, you're sexy. Thank you. Sir, start can I check that newspaper? Sir, where are you going? Call me Q or GQ. What did names like Mustafa and Akbar become too hard to spell? Yo, well, I'm serious now. Well, I'm serious too, Raheem, and this does not make you a man. I should let you have her. Don't you remember? I let you have her. Almost empty. We run from the cops. We run from security guards. Like I'm on the damn track team. If you want respect, you gotta earn it. You gotta be ready to throw down, stand up, and die for that stuff if you want to, Jew. Check this out. It's gonna be a piece of cake, Q. Yeah, man, it'll be a piece of cake. We go in, right before 11, get the loot, jet. I got a DJ Saturday night, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to miss that for nobody. GQ! I hold on to the gun. Why should he hold on to the gun? Because I already got it! Hey, Shoot him, make a move. I want to ask you boys some questions. Did you leave the club at any time tonight? You're mixed up in it, aren't you? I think Bishop lost it, man. Who killed him? I'm the one y'all need to be worried about. Hey, yo, man. If you didn't do nothing, then you got nothing to worry about. No, killed him. Do him in if I have to. All right, Omar Epps, let's get this party started. It is impossible, to my mind, sir, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip-hop um, without considering a film like Juice that has already gone down as a classic hip-hop film with an amazing soundtrack. So let me just start by asking Omar, first of all, I'm delighted to have you on the program, my friend and brother, but when you hear when yeah. you hear that trailer from all those years ago, like what, what's going through your head on the phone line listening to that, that, that trailer? Uh, history. Well, first and foremost, it's just good to be speaking with you, and uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, just a lot of history, um, you know, obviously hearing uh, uh, Tupac's voice and just brings back a lot of um, great memories and just the whole gamut. It's, um, you know, that was my first film 
oh so long ago, you know, mm-hmm. 17 years old. And, um, you know, just makes my heart smile. Yeah. Take, take me back. T- tell me something. Tell me something about the filming. I'm, I'm always fascinated by backstories. We, we, we know the film. We've seen the film countless times. We love the film. Again, as I said, it's part of the, uh, the, the iconography, if you will, as far as I'm concerned, of, uh, of uh, the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Uh, but just t- t- tell me anything you want to tell me about, about the filming. It was your first film. You were just 17. Then you've done so much since then. And we'll talk about, you know, your career over the course of this hour uh, and, of course, your book. Uh, but but tell me something about, about the filming. And just take me back to 17-year-old Omar Epps on his first, uh, on his first film set, basically. Oh yeah, I mean it. It was uh, I was I was living the dream, man. You know, I was a young kid uh, right out of high school, and and uh, you know I was one of those kids. I, I wanted to figure it out uh, right out. I didn't want to go to college right after school. I wanted to you know kind of feel my way out. I was going to get a job, but I was auditioning, and mm-hmm. uh, I booked this thing, man, and. Next thing you know, taking the train up to the set in Harlem. And, um, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from New York. So it was just kind of like, uh, you know, another part of the city. And um, it just happened so fast. Mm. Uh, we, just, we just got to work. You know, I wasn't I, – it felt special to me what we were doing. But I, was, I didn't know the magnitude of, mm-hmm. you know, what we were doing. But it just felt fun. It felt special. It was a – story that we all i think um all of us um khalil and jermaine tupac and myself we related to in, in some form and um and having ernest dickinson as our skipper uh as it were you know was great the, the the crew was great you know some some little you know rough around the edges sometimes on set but that's filming in new york back in those yeah. days you know before there were cameras everywhere yeah. <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> we just we, we just getting started with omar epps uh i got a couple of questions i want to ask in follow-up to what he just said now uh so we're gonna, we're gonna talk a bit, a bit more about juice uh again it's 50 years uh of hip-hop uh and it's classic juice is just a classic film so i got a couple of questions about that uh and then we're going to talk about his his career since that uh and and one of the things that fascinates me uh well i'll that I, I, I'll tell you what fascinates me when we come forward. Just getting started with Omar Epps. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Nothing quite like a great film with a great soundtrack, and that's what you got with Juice. The soundtrack is fire. Even all these years later, uh, and the film is still just as amazing. And uh, it's it's a beautiful thing to look back and to see a young Omar Epps, 17 years old then, a young Tupac, just an amazing cast. Ernest Dickinson is the skipper. Um, just an amazing project as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Uh, uh, couldn't have a better uh, time. Um, couldn't, it couldn't be a better time. Uh, couldn't be a more, a more propitious moment. Uh, to be in dialogue with Omar Epstein right about now. Uh, and he has a new book out. It's called Nubia, The Reckoning. And so just a lot to talk about in this hour uh, of this career conversation with this great thespian, Omar Epps, who I'm delighted to have uh, as our guest. So, Omar, you 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 had me laughing a moment ago. You were telling me that, you know, there were always little skirmishes. There always some skirmishes, always a little a, a little a little drama uh, when you're trying to push out a project like this on the streets on the streets of New York. Is there something in particular that, that you remember that jumps out at you? Uh, well, there's a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Pac had some uh, some run-ins with uh, the locals. Mm-hmm. If you want to call it that? Yeah. Um, but just you know, again, we were we were rough and tumble. I was taking a train to set and um, staying with our first AD, Randy, 
because I lived far out in Brooklyn and we were filming all the way up in Harlem. So it was, right. um, you know, it, it was easier for me to stay with him. He lived downtown Brooklyn, and, you know, stuff like that. Stuff right. that was just a little bit um, uh, outside of the box, but we made it work and we had fun. Yeah. Um, when you, to your point earlier, and I, I was struck by your, your phrase, Omar, that uh, you knew that you were doing something that felt special. You didn't know exactly what was going to, to come of it. Uh, and I suspect that's right. true for that's true for many artists. Um, when they're in the midst of doing something, they 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 get this you know, this good feeling. They get this you know this this thing in their gut that they think they got something, and you never really know until until it actually happens, right? So it felt special. Right. It turns out to actually be special. But who knew the way your career was going to take off? And I want to come back to your career in a second here. But let me just pivot just for a quick second since you mentioned Pac. Um, when you look back on that and the opportunity you had to work with him at that point in his life and his career, nobody knew then what would happen years later. But how do you how do you how do you situate that working with him at that point in his and your life? on something that turns out to be classic and he ain't even here anymore. Yeah. I mean, I look back, it, it really, the, the, the word that comes to mind is it was, it was a blessing, yeah. you know, yeah. um, Tupac was one of those cats. Uh, we both felt like we were getting to it, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew he was going places and I think that he felt that I was going places. And so we just, you know, as that term is still sharp and still, we just push each other and, um, he was one of those special individuals, very, very um, articulate, very intelligent and passionate. And he had that that thing you can't put into words. He had an energy about him. And um, and he was he was writing his first album while we were filming. So I was privy to that part of the process. And just him as an actor, you know, I always selfishly, I, you know, his demise came so early. But mm-hmm. I felt that, you know, um, selfishly, I was robbed of, of seeing him blossom as an actor because he was, he was really good. Mm-hmm. Man. I mean, and um, so we just we just enjoyed that time. We immersed ourselves into that time. And uh, through these characters, we just push one another towards our uh, respective greatness. Yeah. Speaking of uh, uh, your respective greatness, uh, he did his thing and you certainly have done yours and, and still are. Thank God. Still still doing it. I was I was looking at watching Juice not long ago, as a matter of fact, uh, just taking myself back to get ready for our conversation today. And one of the things that jumped out at me, Omar, about your career uh, and there are any there are many other people uh, about whom I cannot cannot say the following. Uh, and that is that you did not get pigeonholed in that or by that role. You didn't get pigeonholed right. playing that kind of character. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, when the audience yeah. when the audience gets introduced to a young black man in a particular way, for many people it is hard. Uh, impossible for many others to break out of that sort of stereotypical role, no matter how classic the film may be. And I could I could even argue that the more classic the film is, the harder it is to break out of that sort of role, because that's the only way people see you. Uh, What say you all these years later about the fact that that did not, as classic as it was, that it did not box your career in? I look at all the things you have played, all the stuff you are playing, Power Book 3, we're going to get to all of it in this hour. But how, how do you look back on that moment and see that that you didn't or it didn't box you in? Well, first and foremost, I mean, I was, I was fortunate. And, you know, I say this, it has historical context to it. Um, in my opinion, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, being shepherded, by, you know, hero, like a Sidney Poitier, um, you know, Belafonte and the like, mm-hmm. um, you know, knowing, 
our history in black cinema. And also, I was a victim of great circumstance, not good circumstance. Mm-hmm. I came up in the, in the Spike Lee renaissance of black cinema. Mm-hmm. So we were, we, we were uh, putting Hollywood's feet to the fire, uh, if you will. And it was a time where, you know, it, it also was intentional on my behalf. You know, a lot of times when I when I speak with people and we reflect back on my career in the nineties, you know, I spent most of my time saying no mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to, to things because it, because that's really what it was. It was intentional. I wanted, I always looked at my career as even at that point as a a mosaic, mm-hmm. you know? um, and I knew that you know it, they were each project was a piece of a bigger puzzle. Um, and it, and it's, I'm still building that puzzle out, yeah. uh, to see the greater picture. But it, with that said, I was very intentional on, you know, which roles I picked and why. And then you have to combine that with the opportunities that come your way. Right. Yeah. So that's why I say I was very, I was very fortunate because there was a generation before me who were, were very skilled and, and talented, but maybe didn't have, didn't quite have the opportunities yeah. that, um, that, uh, I was fortunate to have, and I look at the next generation, the, the generation now. Um, I look at them the same way. There are opportunities afforded to them that I didn't have, but, yeah. and that's why I'm so happy for them and, and seeing them take the bull by the reins in the way that they are. Yep. This is getting rich, as we say. It's getting good. It's getting good, Omar. There, there are three or four things you said just now that I want to unpack. Let me jump right quick. The first is your invocation of uh, the names of Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte. Uh, I think many of my audience know that both of those guys were friends of mine, uh, dear friends. I miss them dearly. Mr. Portier and I had lunch mm-hmm. together, literally lunch together every other Tuesday in the same place for 27 years. So I sat at his feet for mm-hmm. 27 years every other Tuesday. Mr. B, dear friend of mine, miss him, miss, him, uh, miss both of those guys deeply. And since you mentioned Mr. Portier, if, if he were here right now, he would tell you, as he said to me many, many times, Tavis, my career uh, is really not defined by the roles that I said yes to. It's really defined by all the things I said no to. If you talk mm-hmm. to Denzel, D would tell you the same thing. We we know him. Mm-hmm. We think we know him for the stuff that he's done, but the real story right. is the stuff he turned down. Uh, and here right. now, here comes Omar Epps saying the same thing. So you're part of that pantheon of people who are willing to acknowledge that the stuff that we know you for ain't really what defines your career. If we knew the stuff you said no to that might have derailed your career or taken a different direction, et cetera, et cetera, it'd be a different conversation. So when you said you spent a good part of that of your life then saying no to stuff, what kind of stuff are you saying no to? Well, just stuff that didn't, um, the, the ingredients that didn't mix well with the pot of gumbo I was trying to make. Gotcha. I was cooking up. Gotcha. I got you. <laughs> I got you. And, <laughs> and I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't, uh, uh, speak on, on Mr. Portier. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him a few times and he's my acting hero. He's literally the, if I had to pick a soul reason oh, why yeah. I wanted to be an actor, it's literally because of him. And I had, and one of the, literally the highlights, not of just my career of my life, mm is when one day I was having a lunch and I, and I walked in the restaurant and Mr. Portier was sitting there by himself having lunch. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a go up to a person type of guy, I'm more laid back, but this is a once in a lifetime opportunity at the time. I was in my early 20s and I just wanted to shake his hand. I'd never met him before. I'd never seen him in person and I couldn't believe it. It was like seeing a, a, a superhero, you know? <laughs> and I walked up to him and I just said, I don't want to disturb you. No, I just want to shake your hand, Mr. Portier. I, I love you. I adore you. Thank you so much for all that you've done. And, you know, I'm a young actor. And 
you know, and 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 he and he stopped me and he said, "I know who you are, son. Mm. He said you do good work." And, and and that was the mm. you know if you were playing a video game and you get the power boost, <laughs> <laughs> man, yeah, that, that shook my spirit. With so, man, that meant the world to me. And to this day, it, it just makes me smile. And I and I still take that energy that he gave me, and I receive it the same to keep pushing forward. Um, to this very day. So I'm, yeah. I'm very thankful to have had that experience. I was talking to a great actor. I, as you know, in my career, I've been fortunate to talk to pretty much everybody, including Omar Epps. Uh, and I was talking to a great actor one day, uh, a person who had become a great actor. And I was asking him about his backstory. And he said to me, he said, Tabis, let me just tell you this. I was a young actor. And one day, uh, his story is similar to yours, Omar. He walked into a restaurant and there sat Marlon Brando. And he, oh, wow. he went to Marlon Brando, as you did to Mr. P., uh, and expressed himself in a similar fashion. And Brando stopped him and said, young man, I know who you are, and I appreciate wow. the good work that you're doing. you got a great career in wow. front of you. And he said, um, the, the good news was I was empowered by that, Tabis, and I kind of levitated out of that restaurant. I didn't walk out. I just levitated <laughs> out. He said, the bad right. news is, he said, Ain't nobody been to, ain't nobody been to tell me nothing since then. Marlon Brando said, that <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Sidney right. <laughs> uh, Poitier told me that I was a good actor, yeah. and so I don't, I don't. All opinions ain't created equal, and so my, this guy was telling me that since Marlon Brando, ain't nobody been able to tell him nothing because Brando told him that he was that he was onto something, uh, and so I, I, I love your story about Mr. P. Two other things you said right quick that I want to come to. Um, I love this phrase you use. Here comes Omar Epps uh, dropping bars that he's a victim. He's been a victim of great circumstances. I love that phrase, Omar, a victim of mm. great circumstances. I love that man. Yeah. Yeah. Because we I, I believe that opportunity will knock at everyone's door at some point. But are you prepared, you know, for the opportunity when it comes? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people like to look at the, the, the difficulty in every opportunity instead of looking at the opportunity in every difficulty. Mm. And, and that's very important because though I am an artist and I'm in the creative arts, it is a business. And, you know, once you get out on your own and you get your apartment or your whatever, and you got to live, you got to maintain, you got to pay bills. Right. Yeah. And so this, this is a chosen profession. There, there will come valleys with the peaks and you gotta, you gotta have the fortitude to make your way through that while maintaining your moral compass, your integrity, your artistic integrity and so forth. Yeah. So that's why I say victim of great circumstance, because, again, I was Spike Lee's one of my my heroes um, mm -hmm. in, in this thing of ours. Uh, you know, the films that he was making back then were, I mean, striking to the core of the black experience in America mm -hmm. at that time. And and um, and he was out there on the ledge by himself, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I'm leading the way. So for me, as a, as a young, you know, hungry, aspiring artist, I wanted to to sort of take that baton and, and run alongside with him in the ways that I could at that point, you yeah. know. So I take took this thing very seriously. Yeah. Um, in the two minutes I have left here, and we'll continue on the other side when we come forward. Um, and I think this is the era that you were talking about. You also said earlier in this conversation, I'm still stuck on that phrase, victim of great circumstances. I'm going to use that line, Omar. Uh, the first time I use it, I'll actually give you attribution for it. After that is mine. But I love that line, victim of great circumstances. Um, very quickly here, um, you, you mentioned earlier that this particular era was an era that you viewed as us 
Spike and others putting Hollywood's feet to the fire. In 90 seconds, unpack what you meant by that for me. I think I get it. Well, for for decades prior, you know, we had uh, imagery. Imagery Mm -hmm. was, was when it came to the black experience in this country, a lot of it was negative. It wasn't all negative. You had some great films in between there, but for the most part... Hollywood had a copy and paste system that left us with a, a, a stain um, uh, in, in the imagery of us. And you had a whole new generation that was educated, articulate, and able. And, and the time had come, the universe opened up for us to be able to, you know, change the narrative or shift the narrative, progress it forward mm. in terms of uh, Black culture on film and on, in television. Mm. I take it, and um, I, I, I thought that's what you meant, and I, I, I receive it. Our guest is Omar Epps, um, amazing actor, uh, great writer. He's the star of, uh, of the series Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, returning for its third season on Stars, December the 1st. Speaking of 50 years of hip-hop, produced by some guy, exec produced by some guy named 50 Cent. We'll talk about that as we move through this hour. We've been talking and, of course, reminiscing about his uh, the early part of his career, Juice, and other great projects he has done. Uh, he's also a great writer. He has a new book out called Nubia, The Reckoning. We ain't got to that yet. So glad I got a whole hour with Omar Epps on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is uh, the, the brilliant actor, uh, Omar Epps, also a great writer. We'll talk about his book, Nubia, The Reckoning, here in just a moment. Uh, but uh, they're the sounds of uh, 50 Cent. We've been talking about celebrating the, the uh, 50th anniversary uh, of hip-hop. And we started this conversation, in case you missed the top of our dialogue with Omar, talking about his classic role in Juice. And you can't talk about hip-hop 50 years in without talking about uh, that film and the great soundtrack that accompanied that work that was helmed by Ernest Dickerson, starred Omar Epps and Tupac, just an amazing cast, great film, even all these years later. Uh, but now, uh, Omar is the star of a series called Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, uh, set to return for its third season on Stars. It's uh, exec produced by 50 Cent. Uh, Omar, for those who haven't as yet seen Power Book 3, and obviously many have, uh, say a word about the project. Uh, it's a great project. Um, you know, I think the story is really interesting. Uh, Patina Miller, who uh, plays the lead, Rock, she is a tour de force and such a pleasure to work with. So um, I'm enjoying the ride. Yep. Um, it's a great project. And uh, again, pleased to, to share that uh, it returns for its third season on Stars December 1. So um, uh, I guess a week or so ago, we had uh, Eric LaSalle uh, in here uh, and had a great conversation, yeah. had a great conversation with E. And I think some people were surprised, those who didn't know it. Obviously, he's done a number of books, and they've done quite well. So clearly, he has a big fan base, as do you. Uh, but but some folk were just sort of surprised to know that Eric LaSalle writes books. And I got the same response right. uh, with you. Omar Epps writes books? I said, yeah, these Negroes are talented. They do they do all kind of stuff, man. <laughs> they do all kind of stuff. Acting is just acting. Directing, producing is just part of it. So 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 I, I get to ask you the same question I asked Eric when he was here. How did this writing thing jump off? How did this happen for you? That's a great question. Um, honestly, I began as a writer. I've been writing, you know, for as long as I can remember. My mother was an educator. 
um, in New York when I was growing up. So I was privy to a lot. And she was also an activist. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, was, I was always into reading and literature and for me specifically history. And so, you know, I would write short stories, poems, all types of stuff um, from a very young age. I'm talking eight, nine years old. And um, so I've been writing all along. And then as my career blossomed um, as an actor, um, you know, I, I was writing, but writing takes discipline and you got to sit down and do it. And it just that, that that time came for me where it was time to um, evolve and really dig into my original passion, which is writing. Um, and so here we are now, uh, three books later. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it like being raised by uh, a black mother who is both an educator and an activist? Oh, it was incredible. And, you know, uh, people from New York from that time period, they know who my mother is. Um, you know, I've said she educated half of New York City, literally. <laughs> um, and um, so it, it was great. You know, I, I, I just, you know, and my mother and I talk about this to this day. You know, one of the things I'm very thankful for uh, is that she raised, she raised me with a sense of, of uh, value, meaning mm-hmm. like I, she raised me with a sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, which which gave me the patience and the confidence not to go down certain roads and not to succumb to peer pressure and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it also raised me with a sense of community, the responsibility I had to my local community and, and in the ways that I could, whether that was, you know, um, helping uh, elderly women across the street or with their, with their grocery bags or stuff like that, or, you know, working odd jobs here and there, cleaning up, just a sense of the, the, the local environment where we live, that mm-hmm. we all had a stake in it and we had to look out for one another. So I, mm-hmm. I carry that with me to this day. I'm, I'm curious. Um, we, we, we know all the issues on the docket today that people are advocating around and about. Uh, we, we, we're in the, the Black Lives Matter era. We see all the protests now about what's happening in the Middle East. People are becoming much more engaged, much more activist. Just because just I'm curious, take me back to that era and, and tell me what your mother was an activist around. I, I get the educated part. What was happening in, 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 your, yeah. in your neck of the woods that had your mother uh, 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 fully active? Well, you know, she was coming from that, from that era, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the 60s and stuff like that. So they... She she always says she says her generation they were they were fighting for rights and then she said your generation y'all gotta go get the bag wow (laughs) you know know, we're gonna put y'all in position I love it to to go to go get it and I feel you know we'll talk about this in a bit but there are a lot of these things what we're talking about right now is laid out in in my book. Oh, yes. Yep. Um, Some of these isms and the the book takes place a hundred years from now. The reason why I'm bringing it up right now is because it's just, uh, it's for me, it's sad that we're still dealing with some of these issues as, you know, as a black community. But what I will say is that what I've found is that when you broaden it out and you go backwards a little bit, maybe a hundred, 200, 300 years before that, it's really, it's less about the color and it's a human experience there are things that humans seem to do repeatedly that we don't get right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we we need to learn from those sort of things Mm -hmm. in order to progressively move forward and so the thing about this younger generation that what we got indoctrinated with in school is that you know mlk was assassinated for his beliefs and that's not the truth 
he was assassinated because he was making inroads to true power. Mm-hmm. And that's what the younger generation needs to really know is that he was playing a real game, having meetings at the White House about getting laws changed. That's when he became a threat. It wasn't just this ethereal feeling of turn the other cheek. It wasn't like that. That's not reality. And so where we are now is we're at another crossroads where it's, there's, about, there's, a, there's a notion of speaking truth to power, and then there's a notion of taking power. Mm, mm, <laughs> and and mm. I think this younger generation has to focus on the latter. That we, we, we have to, and you do it through the system of democracy and so forth and so on. But as you look at the top, you really have to look to your local environment to see who runs what, and, and we have the power to shift those things. You know, who's from the councilmen to the congressmen to the senators to all the run the whole gamut mm-hmm. who are the federal judges in your state or in your area who who are these people what are they campaigning for you know and essentially the people do have the power we just don't galvanize together mm-hmm. now ironically we have examples right in front of our face or you just mentioned earlier black lives matter mm-hmm. okay that was that was those were times when everyone woke up on the same accord and went outside. And what did we see? Law enforcement, all these big institutions backing down because mm-hmm. there's way more of us than there are of them. And you mix that with their people, too. It's not like they're robots without emotions and families that have their own stories that they're living. Right. So you got to see people in mass so, uh, uh, take control of the moment that there was no plan attached for afterwards. OK. What's, what about the day after that? Yeah. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And that's what the younger generation has to focus on. Instead of just being caught up in emotions, you have to have the patience to strategize and be pragmatic about those calculations and then move forward with mm-hmm. the emotion. Then you can put that back in and you move forward and you really make progress. He's already teed it up quite nicely, given some of the issues he's uh, just addressed now that come to life in this book. Uh, the finale in this trilogy is called Nubia, The Reckoning. We'll go right inside the pages of Nubia, The Reckoning, when we come forward with our guest, actor and author, Omar Epps. Seeking the truth. Speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. Sounds different, huh? This, this is Tavis Smiley. We were talking earlier with Omar Epps about celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, half century in, his film, classic film, Juice, and that amazing soundtrack on, on Juice. So, Omar, um, forgive me for this, but I, I have a really, really, really smart audience, and I, I love when Negroes <laughs> reach out to me to say, did, did you know... Did you know? Did you know? So, can you can you hear the song I'm playing, Omar? Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's laughing already. So, people keep asking me, did I know? So, you know why I'm playing this song. So, just so they know that, that I know, and I ain't stupid, tell them why I'm playing this song, Omar. Oh, yeah. That's uh, my beautiful wife. That's uh, <laughs> one of her first singles. She was in the group total. There so. you go. There yeah, you man. There you go. There you go. All right. I said, <laughs> I said, I said, I said to Miles, my board out. I said, now uh, Omar's a bright guy, and of course he'd been married for what, 15, 16, 17 years, so he he better pick up on his cue real fast. Uh, <laughs> he better know. Yeah. It, he better know why. He better know why I'm playing this song. <laughs> so his, right. his 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 brilliant and beautiful wife was in total uh, the formerly uh, all female R and B group. 
the trio and they sang the hook on Biggie's uh, debut single Juicy and so yes people I did know that and uh, just to let you know that I knew it I thought I would have a little fun with Omar about that all right Omar let's go straight inside this book Nubia the Reckoning tell me about it sir oh man so it's a sequel to uh, the first book Nubia the Awakening and um, essentially the, 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 the book is about uh, it's about three displaced teenagers who are trying to find their way. Again, it takes place 100 years from now um, and they're trying to find their way. And uh, they have ancestral powers that start to sprout, but they're not privy to what it is because they haven't been told about their history from their parents because, um, you know, Nubia was this utopian nation where man was in such balance with the earth that they were bestowed with with powers but then the island was destroyed and so the generations before they thought the powers had died with the island and then you have this group of teenagers where we start the first book Mm -hmm. where the powers are, are still with them and so in the reckoning we pick up from the end of the first book the reckoning is um now that they have their powers what are they going to do with them (laughs) <laughs> and um so it's a it's a really really exciting um um story i think it's a necessary story i think i alluded to this earlier but i, I tried to as i was moving forward in meaning like a hundred years from now i found that again a lot of these isms whether it's racism sexism classism they, they they've existed for all of human history mm-hmm. they just in different fashion. So a hundred years from now, after the climate, uh, climate cataclysms have taken place and this one, that there's a new geography of the earth as we know it, there's still going to be humans somewhere. There's still going to be kids. And what are they dealing with? And some of these same issues will permeate, but they'll deal with them in a different way so that maybe a hundred years from then, the next generation won't have to deal with it. The book is called Nubia, The Reckoning by Omar Epps. Our remaining moments with him when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Just a few minutes left in this uh, amazing conversation that I've enjoyed immensely with Omai Epps. We've talked about juice. Uh, we could have talked about uh, the beloved romance, love and basketball. We could have talked about his role as Dr. Eric Foreman on House. We could have talked about Darnell on This Is Us. He's had an amazing career uh, after starting uh, in Juice at uh, at 17. But he said to us earlier in this conversation, he's always been a writer. Uh, his book is called Nubia, The Reckoning, available now wherever fine books are sold. Once again, it's called Nubia, The Reckoning. We highly recommend that uh, for your reading pleasure. Um, but you said earlier, uh, uh, again, um, Omar, that you've always been a writer. Um, so we know the acting thing. So let me just ask you, what what itch does the writing scratch for you? Uh, well, it, it, it's about telling stories, right? Yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but th- that that imagery that I, I there is a power in imagery. Mm. And for me, for instance, um, growing up in a single parent household, blue collar, uh, you know. And growing up with a show like The Cosby Show was the first time I saw a functional black family that was happy. Mm-hmm. Literally in my life, I, I hadn't experienced that. Every not many people I knew knew their fathers and so forth and so on. And so seeing 
wow, he's a doctor, she's a lawyer, there's always food on the table. That seems small, but that inspired me as a kid because I was like, wow, when I start a family, that, there goes a template, you know? It can mm-hmm. it can be done. Of course, we had good times, and I love, I love good times because, you know, the father, James, was in the household at least, but he never got the job. Mm-hmm. So it always kind of left you on a downtick. Whereas, so, so the power of imagery is very important to me. And I want to, through storytelling, uh, infuse younger generations with power of imagery and proper representation. And, the, and with the, the breadcrumb trail that will lead them to the richness of not only our history, but our now, our story mm. that we're writing in real time. No, I love that. Not just our history, but our now. Um, the book, yeah. once again, is called Nubia, The Reckoning. The author of that book is our guest in this hour, Omar Epps. And Omar, I think this is my exit question. I started this conversation uh, almost an hour ago now, uh, referring to it as a career conversation. It has indeed been that. And again, we've only scratched the surface of all the brilliance in your career. Uh, but when you look back on it, uh, given where you uh, started uh, in Brooklyn and uh, all that we've discussed in this hour, what do you make of this career uh, to date, uh, that you have been able to craft? Honestly, Tavis, uh, I just feel so blessed and so fortunate to have and continue to be a conduit for the light, a conduit for God's work, because mm. that's what anchors me through it all. Um, it comes, it, 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 you know, the universe is, is a place that the mind can't fathom how vast it is, right? We mm-hmm. we use these terms, universe, and we put these words together, but we don't know most of what's on our own planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, most of the whole planet is underwater. We don't mm-hmm. know what's under there, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I think about it, in those, but, but from a cosmic sense, we are all connected we, in some shape, fashion, or form from the animals to the trees to us to mm. all of it and I, me playing my part in this symphony called life mm. is is of the utmost importance and so ultimately that's what i'm here for to be a conduit for the light and through telling these stories and, and through trying to um um trying to give people positive energy yeah. uh through fictional depictions um, of the human experience. The book is called Nubia, The Reckoning. Um, Omar Epps, you're a bad man. You're a bad man, man. I, and I appreciate your work thank and your witness all these years. I thank you for this conversation once again, sir. I deeply, deeply thank you for taking the time and hope you have a great rest of the, thank you, uh, of the day, my friend. All the best to you, brother. Stay strong it's a, now. It's, a, it's, an honor, it's an honor to speak to you, and I'm always jealous of you because you have the best Prince interview in the history <laughs> of all Prince interviews ever. You are kind. <laughs> you are kind. Love you, man. Stay strong. I appreciate you. Uh, back here tomorrow. Lord willing to do it all over again. Until then, thanks for tuning in. As always, keep the faith.